Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Mission of Marriage, and it is part of the Meaning of Marriage Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Let's see. Okay, we're talking about marriage. Um, marriage, there's nothing like it. When it's good, there's nothing like it. When it's bad, there's nothing like it. It's like you heard about the guy who went to his rabbi and said, I have a strong desire to live forever. And his rabbi said, uh, okay, get married. And he goes, and I will live forever? He said, no, you will lose your desire. <laughs> no, no, it's not like that at all, guys. Now, marriage is a wonderful thing. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, I mean, Ephesians 5, we're going to jump off from this place today because we're talking about the mission of marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing with the water and through the word, and to present herself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm going to tell you there's a lot about that verse that I've never fully understood. But I know one thing that it's saying that we as a married couple need to wish well, one another well. And we need to be into one, in one another's lives for one another's uh, blessing and improvement. Uh, Tim Keller, as he processes marriage in the book, he differentiates between what marriage is, which is what we've done so far in this series, and what marriage is for. Today we're going to talk about what it's for. Week one, talking about what it is, we said the primary purpose of marriage is to mirror Christ's relationship with his church. In week two, we said God has provided a source to make it possible to live out the primary purpose of marriage, which is to be a living demonstration of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Keller goes back to Genesis 2 to answer the question, what is marriage for? This is very interesting because God designed marriage to meet a basic human need. He said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. So, marriage is to meet a, a basic human need, and the basic human need is this. The basic human need is for friendship. Friendship. Uh, marriage is for friendship. Now, that's a fascinating conclusion, and one that I seldom hear talked about. Oh, sure, people are always saying, my spouse and I are best friends. And I believe them when they say that, but it's kind of a, wow, we got lucky. We're best friends. I, we're, I can't believe it. We're best friends. But it seemed like to God, this was, this was primary. This was at the top of the emotional hierarchy, the top of the priority list. Here's, a, here's the question that Keller poses, and I'm, I think it's going to go up on the, on the screen for you. How could Adam be in a good condition when he was in a perfect world? Not good condition, I meant to say. How could he be in a not good condition when he was in a perfect world and had evidently a perfect relationship with God. I never thought of that before. How could, how could God say he's got 
everything a man could want, you would think. He's got a perfect world, perfect relationship with God, and God says, this is not good. The only thing, the only thing of God's creation, everything, in, everything else, the way God created it, God stepped back and go, this is good. God created this guy all by himself, and he goes to the other angels, the Son and the Holy Spirit, hey guys, this isn't good. This is not good. I believe the key is found in Genesis 1.26. Let us make man in our image. I believe what God looked down and saw is this is half of a person. This is not a whole person. This is not entirely our image. Do you understand how relational God is? God has never had a time. There's never been a time, because we have an eternal God, there's never been a time when God was not in relationship. God has never been alone. God is, when we say the word God, we're talking about a triunity. We're talking of plurality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have a perfect, harmonious relationship and that has always existed. That is a profound, profound thought. In fact, when I thought about it more, I thought of how, how relational heaven is. When, if you study anything about heaven, we don't know a lot about it, but we have verses here and there that talk about what's going on in heaven. We know there's singing going on in heaven. There's eating going on in heaven. God has people affirming him all day. Not people, but creatures. Creations of God are around the throne telling him how holy he is all day long. Heaven is a heavenly home. Heaven is the ideal of what your home is supposed to be. Wives, you're supposed to sit around all day and tell your husband he's holy. Amen. Right? No, no, of course not. But there should be, there should be, a, it should be filled with music and singing and laughter and affirmation. Affirmation should be, should be the music, of, it's the music of heaven, it should be the music of your home. Amen. So what does it mean to embrace friendship as a primary value and motivation in your marriage? Some people aren't very good at marriage because they're not very good at friendship. In a friendship marriage, couples act out as a desire to help each other. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. George Eliot said, what do we live for if it is not to make life less difficult for each other? Jim, Jimmy Evans, who is a great marriage minister, if you want to go look at some good material on marriage, look up Jimmy Evans. He said, my friend is not someone who watches me do something without offering to help. Who shows up on moving day? Your friends. Your friends show up when you're moving your furniture. Your friends show up when your roof is leaking. Your friends show up when your basement's flooded. Your friends show up when you're sick and you're home and you need food brought by. It's your friends that show up. Um, I want to I wanna give you... Uh, see, that's what marriage is supposed to be. And I, in fact, I want to give you an illustration. Jimmy Evans tells this story in a sermon, uh, a teaching he does on friendship and marriage about a time in his marriage when, and, and if you follow Jimmy's teaching, you find he was raised in a very chauvinistic type of family where the women served the men kind of thing. 
And so he, he got married, he became a pastor, and he took this value system into his marriage. And so he, as you're going to see in this little story, we're going to play a little clip of him, about he would come home, he just had started pastoring, he was, he was working, at the, he was staying at the office and ministering to people seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day, was not prioritizing at home, and then he would come home and his wife and the two kids, his wife would expect him to help her out, and he resented it. And I'm going to let him tell his story about how God got a hold of his heart. <laughs> and I would come home at night, and Karen, Karen's a great woman. She's just a great wife. But I would come home at night, and, and what, I, what I wanted her to do when I came in at night was say, you poor baby, you've been fighting evil all day. You know, you come in here, and you don't lift a finger. We got you taken care of, and that's what I wanted. Okay, that's not what happened. And I would come in the house, you know, after a 12 to 14 day day at work, seven days a week. And she said, I need this. Brent needs this. And Julie needs this. And it, it, it grated on me. And uh, I thought, I am trying to pastor a church. I'm trying to minister to people. I've been visiting the hospitals. I've been counseling I've been doing funerals and weddings. I've been preparing for messages and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so she would just stand there and look at me. I mean, I, would, I was exhausted. I was just gone. And she would just look at me like, I need this. Brent needs this and Julie needs this. And I thought, sister, you're persecuting the Lord's anointed. God's going to strike you dead. And you better watch it. Oh, my gosh. So we started fighting about that. And um, uh, I started sleeping on the couch. And I just thought, I'm, I'm tired of that nonsense. So, and I was very self-righteous about it. I was very self-righteous. And um, I was praying. The third night on the couch, I was praying. And I was praying for Karen, for God to change her hard heart. <laughs> and I was laying there on the couch, and, and I said, Lord, I pray that you'd help Karen, because she's wrong. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, you have communicated to Karen in real terms that the church is more important than she is. Now you repent. And I, I, I said, get behind me, Satan. That, you know, but you know when it's the Lord. You know. So I went into the bedroom, and Karen was in bed, and I said, Karen, I'm sorry. And she said, what? And I said, I, I need to leave the church. I'm not prepared. I've never been to seminary. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm terrified. And it's just killing me. Now, the church was growing. I mean, the church was doing good. It was killing our family. And Karen said, Jimmy, God called you to the ministry. Just don't turn your heart away from us. Just come home and be at home. And you know, um, I thought about this as Jimmy was talking about friendship. It's a great uh, sermon. You, you would enjoy it if you went on. It's, uh, it's on YouTube. But uh, I thought, you know, m my wife is, uh, Sherry is a great helper. She's a problem solver. She's a great problem solver. And you, my, several months ago when we, we decided that Brandy, Pastor Brandy needed to move to uh, children's ministry, and that was the best decision, and she agreed. And then I, I, so I go to Sherry, and we talk about hospitality. Can you, can you, we, 
we need somebody to take hospital. I, I told her, you know, I think I said, I don't remember my exact words. I don't think anybody else that can, can make this happen like it needs to happen. And that, that's the way it's always been for, for 40 years now. Uh, Sherry's always solving problems. She's always, I mean, there have, been, there have been times in the past, in the past times when maybe the church books would get out of whack. Sherry, you got to come help me. You got to come look at the church books. And she would come and get them straightened. Because she, she, she has an amazing ability to put her finger on a problem like that. It, it, it annoys people sometimes. Because you, you'll, you'll, you'll struggle with something. And Sherry will walk in and one look at it, there's the problem. You know, she's, she's got that thing. But she uses it for the glory of God. And she uses it to build the kingdom of God. And, I, and I've gotten better, by the way. I've gotten better being a helper. And in fact, yesterday, I, I, of course, I'm studying for this sermon, so <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm, I'm a hands on the typewriter, and I'm getting ready to type a document that, that has to do with the meeting later today. And, I'm, boy, I'm running, you know, time is tight. And I've got to go over to the assisted living facility in like an hour and a half and do a service for the, for the old folks over at the assisted living facility. And the phone rings, it's Sherry. And uh, we're having problems with the sump pump at, out at, uh, can you go buy us a new sump pump? And I was so great. I didn't, I said yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, the Bible says grievous words stir up anger. So I, I know what I've done in the past is, yeah, I would go do it, but I would complain to her first. So I, I am so busy. I've got this other thing to do now. But you know, I was good yesterday. I didn't even tell her that I had anything else to do. I just went dead. Isn't that great? And, I, and I, you know, I, I, I love the dishwasher now. I, I wash my own clothes. I, you know, I, I don't cook, but, 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 but that's for health and safety reasons. <laughs> the Bible says, I'm talking about being a friend to your spouse. If you're a friend, you're going to help them with their, with solve their problems and their dilemmas. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Isaiah 35 is, 35 is an interesting verse. It says, everyone will be put to shame because of a people's, people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. I never saw that verse before. What a verse that if you bring people into the intimate area of your life who are not helpers, Isaiah is saying you're going to be a failure. You need help. Uh, see, a lot of times we, we, confuse, we confuse the idea of, quote, being in love with intimacy. Uh, in fact, psychologists have a, have a name for that in loveness that we experience that lasts, uh, for most couples, that lasts anywhere from three months to 48 months. Three months to 48 months you have. And they, they have a name for it. It's called limerence. Everybody say limerence. It's called limerence. It's a feeling of ecstasy. It's, it's when you uh, have an intense longing for reciprocal love from the other person. It's when you become hypervigilant about watching out for the other person all the time. It, it leads to intense feelings of jealousy. Uh, it comes with what they call the halo effect. The halo effect is when you look at that person and you can see no fault in them. 
They have no, there's nothing, they're perfect. And, and it, 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 it reminds you of the song that Percy Sledge sang a long time ago, when a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He had changed the world for the good thing he's found. If she's bad, he can't see it. That's what the lyrics say. <laughs> she can do no wrong. He'll turn his back on his best friend if he puts her down. That's called limerence. And it's actually, uh, it's actually, the psychologists have checked people out and done brain scans. And when they're in limerence, uh, it, it is, uh, ha- there are serotonin levels that are at the same level as someone with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> it, and and, and uh, it can't last. It has to end. It's a biological necessity. Limerence destroys productivity. Nothing would get done if everybody met and stayed in this stage of limerence. I thought I would just share that with you so it helps because it's... <laughs> It, 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 by the way, all couples don't have it. Some couples have a great marriage who never had that limerent stage because it's not, it's not what makes a marriage work anyway. Right? What makes a marriage work is being great friends. We must return friendship to the top of our emotional hierarchy ahead of physical attraction ahead of financial security and social standing, because those are the three reasons that people get married most of the time, for physical attraction, financial security, and social standing. In tribal cultures, they got married for, uh, they got married for social standing, morally in tribal cultures. In secular cultures, like today, we get married more, more likely for sex and romance. Those things are not wrong, but they're not enough. Tim Keller says, we can think of a prospective spouse as primarily a lover or a provider. And if he or she can be a friend on top of that, well, isn't that nice? We should be going at it the other way around. Screen first for friendship. Screen first for friendship. Can I be this person's friend? Will I enjoy hanging out with them for the next 50 years? The principle, he said, that your spouse should be capable of becoming your best friend is a game changer when you address the question of compatibility in a prospective spouse. So first of all, I want to make the point today that a friendship couple is a couple that helps each other out. Secondly, in a friendship marriage, couples carve out time to have fun. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 8 says, every, For everything there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to embrace. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. This is a big deal. And I hope you don't take this, because I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I hope you don't think that having fun together is not a big deal. Because nobody ever, if God ordained that we would be friends, and that's what God put us together for, to be friends, nobody ever seeks a friendship with someone that you don't have any fun with. It is probably the number one thing that you look for in a friend is somebody who makes you laugh, somebody who laughs at your jokes, 
and somebody that you laugh at their jokes and you enjoy being together and the time flies when you're together because you're having fun. Now, marriage can't be fun all the time and living with somebody can't be fun. That's not possible for it to be fun all the time. That's why I say friendship couples, couples in a friendship marriage carve out time for friends for fun, rather. And I want to explain that in a moment, why that's so important, why the term carve it out is so important. But first of all, let me tell you a few things that fun requires. And this is why it's, a, it's an important factor as to whether your marriage is healthy. Fun requires humility. People that are full of themselves and self-conscious can't have fun. Secondly, fun requires forgiveness. You can't have fun with someone you resent. It's impossible. If you look at pictures of, at parties or videos at parties and you see two people together trying to have fun when you know they hate each other, they can't fake it. You can't fake it. You can't act like you're having fun and fool anybody if you're with someone that you have unforgiveness for and you resent them and you haven't cleared the deck with them. Thirdly, fun requires you enter into someone else's world. This is why fun is so important, because fun requires that you enter into someone else's world. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, uh, early in the Patriots season, and Sherry knows I really enjoy watching, uh, watching professional football, kind of something I'll do in my spare time, and it was a Sunday afternoon, the Patriots were playing the Chargers, and I, had, I don't remember what it was. I had something going on. I could not watch the game. It wasn't a big deal, and I don't lose my joy if I don't watch, the, watch a game. It's not a big deal. I was doing whatever I was doing uh, during that time, and Sherry, who has no interest, who never watches a football game and never, never has, has zero interest in, in, in watching that sport, she, she watches the Celtics when they're winning. But football, no. No, it's too much crashing and too many people butting heads. You just can't, can't deal with it. And uh, so, but this particular day, and I don't know, I, we, we haven't talked about it, so I don't know if she knows how much it meant to me that she was home and the Patriots were having a good day, which they didn't have too many of those this year, in the 2020 season. But they were having a good day. They were beating up on the Chargers. And she kept sending me text messages updating me on the score. Not only the score, but how they, how they scored touchdowns. Updating something she had no interest in. And you know, that really meant so much to me. Because, in order, because she knew something was fun for me, she crossed the line and she entered into a, a, my world. See, when you're, when you're pursuing or being pursued, you had fun, right? You did stuff. You rode bumper boats. You rode go-karts. You climbed mountains. You did all this stuff. When you're pursuing, don't stop pursuing. And, and you, you know one of, the, one, of the, one of the main... You know, I heard of a woman who, who healed her marriage by going duck hunting. Her husband, really. Their marriage was, was on the rocks, man. And, 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 and he loved to go hunting, so he got ready to go duck hunting one day, and she said, I'm going duck hunting with you. And he nearly fell over. She didn't like to duck hunt, but she went duck hunting with him, and it completely healed their marriage because she got into his world. It means you have to get into someone. And let me tell you something. One of the main reasons we stop having fun, it's two words. 
Kids and career. Kids and career are the main reason you have to budget time for fun. When you're, when you're dating, it's spontaneous. You don't have to budget anything. You don't have to plan fun when you're dating. When there's no kids and you're just maybe just getting started in your career, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to carve out time for friends. But let me tell you something. Once you have kids and once you have a career, you have to carve out time for fun. It takes discipline to have fun because you don't really have time for it. But you don't have time not to have it, believe me. Keller said, Sometimes I heard a wife say, let me quote him, I don't have this on the screen for you. He says, sometimes I hear a wife say, his parents' opinions are more important than mine. Pleasing them is more important to him than pleasing me. Or I would hear a husband say, she's totally wrapped up in the kids, in their needs, programs, school, social life. If I need something, she shrugs and says, okay, but it's the kids and their needs that really excites her. Being a mother is much more enjoyable to her than being a wife. I could also hear either husband or wife say about the other. His or her career is what's really important. The career is the real spouse. The career gets all the ingenuity and all the time and all the energy. See, I want you to know, romance, sex, laughter, fun, going on adventures, it's an important part of the process. In fact, if you just spiritualize your marriage, and, it, and as it were, you announce sternly, welcome to finishing school, you are not imitating Christ at all. Jesus entered into our world, began to meet our personal physical needs. He began to heal our bodies. He had dinner with people all the time. He ate. He was accused, in fact, of being a, a wine-bibber and a, and a drunkard, and, and which wasn't true, but he was accused because he was a social person. He, he walked with people. He talked with people. He spent time with people. And, and, and in fact, he even said one day, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you that we can be together forever. How romantic. Jesus was a romanticist. So should we be. So secondly, today, we've talked about friendship. Friendship couples carve out time to have fun. I know for some of you, this is going to be a challenge because you've got so much going on in your life. You've got so much going on. And I can't tell you exactly how to do it, but my friends, do it. Do it. They, I, I know we're hearing all these reports of these uh, lately, un, unfortunately, and there's a lot of reasons that celebrity Pastors are failing morally. We're hearing the stories, right? I'm telling you, I don't know all it represents. I don't know all that those failures represent, but I know one thing it represents. It represents failed marriages. I know that. It represents, in all those failures, it represents failure at home. We need to pressure, I'm telling you, in the church world, I'm getting off track, we need to pressure our, le our leaders in the church world. We need to pressure them to have good marriages. Amen? Amen? Thirdly, in a friendship marriage, couples define winning as whatever makes, whatever just made the relationship better. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not look to your own interest, but each of you should, should to look to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. 
You know, you know what psychologists have learned? They have found that human beings hate losing more than they love winning. Human beings hate losing. You can read all about this in a, a, a really interesting book called Spousonomics. And it's all about comparing your marriage to the way you handle economics. Because in economics, economics is about managing limited resources. And so building a good marriage is about figuring out how to manage the limited resources because you don't have enough resources to do everything you want to do. So you have to decide. You also have to figure out who's good at what and who should do what. And that's where the book Spousonomics addresses that really well. So I, I won't get into that anymore. But, uh, but this idea of hating losing worse than loving winning is what they call risk aversion. And it's what, happens, it's what happens to a person who's invested in a stock and the stock is failing and failing and failing and their stockbroker is saying we should bail out. And no, no, let's wait another day and see if it comes back. Because you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose $10,000. So you hang in there. Day two, you, you lose $20,000. In fact, there was a finance uh, 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 controller, I guess you would call him for a company in France a few years ago, that got so caught up in risk aversion that his losses before he, well, he didn't bail out. Everything collapsed. The losses that he endured came into not the millions of dollars, but the billions of dollars. It was over $2 billion that he lost for his company because he wouldn't bail out on something that wasn't working. I remember when Sherry and I first married, we, we read that verse in Scripture that said, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. You're laughing because I think you did the same thing. You thought that meant don't go to sleep until you've solved an argue, every argument, until someone has won the argument. And I can still remember the house we lived in in Tampa, Florida. I can remember the seeing the sun come up in the morning. We argued all night. We argued all night. And I will tell you, I will promise you, I don't know, she's got a better memory than I do, but I guarantee you that by the time that sun came up, I had no idea how the argument even started. I had no idea what we were arguing about. I just knew that I was married to a very difficult person. <laughs> See, when you value winning the relationship above winning the argument, you never argue more than 30 minutes about anything. Because after 30 minutes, you're, you're shedding more heat than light. You're not, you're not, you're not solving anything. because Now you're just fighting it. You're, now you're just fighting each other. You're not trying to solve the problem anymore. And I will have to say, Sherry and I have gotten a lot better at that. We've gotten a lot better walking away when we don't agree, state our, state our position, and if we have to, we walk away from each other because we no longer believe that we have to stay up until there's a winner. <laughs> What a relief. Finally, in a friendship marriage, couples believe each other and celebrate each other's differences. This is so important. By the way, compatibility is not based on sameness. <laughs> Nobody's compatible. That's, that's a myth. Nobody's compatible. Oh, every once in a while I see this couple that they just... I, I'm sure they never have an argument. Never, they're just so alike. That's great. 
But that, that's, that is so rare. That's like one-tenth of one percent. I, I don't think it even shows up on the percentage. No, we're, we get married, we're radically different. In fact, that's one reason we fall in love with each other because we're, we're looking for our counterpart. We're looking for our counterpart. That's really what we're doing when we, we usually when we look for a mate. We're looking for the counterpart. We're looking for that person who offers the other idea, the other point of view. We think that's what we want. Then we get married and we find out there's, there's a clashing over that, right? But So compatibility is not based on sameness. Compatibility is based on character and values. And that's what I remember about sharing is we, we had those long conversations and our relationship was a long distance relationship, a lot of it. But uh, I remember such compatibility on our values. And that has really helped us out when it comes to raising children. It has helped us so much that we have such, such, our personalities sometimes clash because we have very different personalities and, and sometimes very different ways of looking at a day or a life. But our values are so identical and that's why we've been able to raise children who also share our values because there was alignment. When it, and that's, I'm getting off subject here. I'm getting into another sermon. But there was alignment in our values. And that's why you see our kids share our values because we, have a, we had alignment in our values. And that's so stinking important. It's important, it's important to go to a church that you, you, you're aligned with their values. And, and don't go to a church where you get crossways and stay crossways with that ch- church's values and then go home over lunch and tell your kids what you don't agree with what the pastor said and what you don't agree with what the church leaders are doing. If that's where you're at, you either need to change or get to a different church. I mean that with all my heart because you're going to mess your kids up. You're going to mess them up if they see you rebellious against church leaders. And by rebellious, I don't mean some kind of cultic, you know, bowing down. You know I don't mean that. I'm not even capable of running a cult. I'm not even capable. <laughs> it, would be, it would be a total fail. It would be a failed cult if I ran it. Some people can do that, not me. I just don't care that much. <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I'm going way off here. I won't do this when I'm live streaming. I promise. Jimmy Evans says, you cannot be friends with someone who consistently puts you down and doesn't believe in you. I, that, I, that is so true. In marriage, you know, see, in marriage, there are three kinds of differences. There are rejected differences. You just reject. There are tolerated differences. Those first two are not great, by the way. When you reject your spouse's differences or you tolerate them, I'm going to put up with it. And there are celebrated differences. See, I need Sherry to celebrate that I'm motivated to sit and study all day. I need her to celebrate that. I need her to celebrate that I will sit all day and research a subject. She needs me to celebrate that she will immerse herself and set her hair on fire for a project that she... Now, we both... She studies, and I do projects. So it's not, not that we don't do the other thing. But left to our natural selves, I will go research a subject all day, and she will go build the pyramids. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> 
We need to celebrate church. We need to celebrate each other when what is different isn't so, you know, maybe it doesn't look so productive. And, and, and we, also, we also have to celebrate where we're, where we're growing and becoming what we need to be. You know, sometimes we, we forget to do that as married. We, we, forget, we forget that that person is changing. And if they're a follower of Christ, they're becoming more like Christ. And we call the past against them. I, I, I don't quote the joker very often, but I like this quote. I don't want someone to see the good in me. I want someone to see the bad in me and still love me. That's how we all feel, isn't it? Here's what Keller says. Within this Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person, get a glimpse of the person God is creating, and say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. And I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you're taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you. I love that quote. That is an amazing quote. Now, this is radically different from the search for compatibility or from the cynical or cold method of finding a spouse who can deliver social status, financial security, or great sex. When you see this, all those other things have their place. You should work on them. This is not a how-to series, so we're not talking about how to do all those things that are biblical, but they're not primary. Put, remember what we said early in the series. Take care of the primary, and God will give you the secondary. We, the problem in America today is we flipped it. We're taking care of the secondary. I mean, and, and I, I, have, I have total, by the way, I have total understanding, and I know where we're at culturally, and I know that most couples don't wait till marriage today. I know that most couples move in together before they get married. But it's not working well, and it's not building the right foundation. And I'm, I, I know that you understand that and know that. And so God's way is always best. That's the point. So my conclusion, Christ left the splendor of heaven because the Godhead missed out on our company. God the Father, God and the Holy Spirit longed for intimacy with humankind. We weren't all that attractive anymore but they loved us. It was the most wasteful, inefficient move in all of history for Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. Reason, logic has its place, but it won't take you to the place that you need most, which is love and the near and dear emotional friendship of another human being. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like having another human being that you love and another human being who loves you. And that's what Brandy was trying to say so well last week. This isn't just for married people. It's for everybody. You need to love somebody. And you need to be loved. It's so important. Stop being efficient. And start becoming emotionally extravagant. And take the risk with another human being. Married people, show the world what God, Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, and the coming kingdom looks like. That's what it's supposed to be about. And if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior, start there today and do that. 
and he will help you to understand what all relationships can be and are supposed to be. Thank you.